Welcome to One Cause Church. We hope you enjoy this inspirational message. Hebrews chapter 8, let's turn there. I want to talk to you about faith today. Is that all right? I cannot let go of the faith message. My life depends on it. That's why I'm here. Hebrews 8, verse 10 says, For this is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. I'll be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. This is talking about the new covenant. The promise, the promise that God made to Israel was the promise of the new covenant coming. And they shall not teach every man his neighbors and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. Know the Lord. He said, They're not going to say that. Everybody knows the Lord. Every, everyone who's saved knows, knows God. You know the, the, the Lord right now. You know, you know God yourself. You know him. Yes. For all shall know me from the least to the greatest. That means the guy that gets saved today knows God. Just like Oral Roberts knows God or knew God. Yes. Just like Billy Graham knows, know, knew God. Just like you know God. Everybody knows the Lord who's saved. You see that? Yes. You don't have to say, Lord, I need to know you. You just need to know him a little bit better. You may need to know him a little bit better, but you don't need to say, I, I need to know the, the Lord, because you do know him. That, 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 that'll give you confidence when you pray. You don't have to pray like, a, like, you're, like you're a slave. Pray like you're a child of God. Amen. Like, you own, like you own part of his, part of his whatever he owns, you own. You're welcome in the house. You hear me? It means you're welcome in his house. Not, not this house, his house. You can come before the throne of grace with confidence. Amen. The church is mostly deceived by religion into believing that God is still angry. Like, like, like he's still angry that the blood of Jesus didn't, didn't fix it all for us, but it did. The church is mostly deceived about that. They think that God is still angry. He's got to tiptoe around him like he's still about ready to blast him, you know. So nobody prays with confidence anymore. I, I, want to, I want to challenge you to stop talking about God's presence. Talk, talk about the Holy Spirit as a person instead of his presence. We talk about the presence of God so much, it's kind of ethereal and gaseous. You know, you can't, can't pin that down. He's not a presence. He's a person. You understand? He's a person who can be everywhere at one time. Amen. So you have him in you, so you know him. If you just have his presence, you may not know the presence, but you know a person. You see what I'm saying? So we don't want to be made to believe that, that we don't know God because we do know God. Because they, they, they're so alienated, God's people often don't pray like they should. They pray as beggars instead of sons. Say it three times. I know God. I do know God. I do know God. I do know God. This is just one more reason why I keep teaching faith. They can't get away from it. Because when men are still hiding behind the fig leaf because they're afraid of God, they don't know that Jesus paid the price for them. The gospel is a promise. It says Christ died for our sins. It's a promise from God Almighty to you. Christ died for your sins. He laid everything that you ever did wrong or would do wrong on Jesus 2,000 years ago. In the Garden of Gethsemane proves it. God was laying the sins of the world on Jesus in the garden. In the garden, that's where it happened, in the garden. Yeah. 
He said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto the point of death. I never heard anybody say this until I heard Ashley's dad say this. He said, that sin was crushing him. That's why he said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to the point of death. He started sweating blood. It was crushing him in the garden. It's when it became sin for us. All that night, the horror of that night was, was more than you can imagine. And then he was crucified. When he was cru- crucified, he was carrying your sins. He really was. He had to be guilty of sin. Although he had done no sin, had to be kind of guilty of it or he couldn't have died. Because sin, the wages of sin is death. That means Jesus really did was guilty of your sin. God made him guilty of your sin. And then killed him. So to take your sin out of the way. Glory to God. Yes. Nothing between you and God anymore. Sin's been de- dealt with. Sin has been dealt with. Sin has been dealt with. It's over. It's all over with. So I come to bring you some good news today. Here it is. Hebrews 11.1. 1. This verse says two things. Faith is a substance and, and an evidence. It's a substance and an evidence. It's not ethereal, it's not gaseous, it's not mushy. Faith is a substance. You step on a substance, if it's laying on the water, you can walk on it. Step on a substance, if it's laying in quicksand, you can walk on it. Step on a substance, if it's out in thin air, you can walk on it. Amen. Remember remember Indiana Jones? Anybody see the Indiana Jones movies? I love those movies. I love that, that one about the, the Holy Grail. He's there. He said, it's under the lion's head. It's a step of faith. Remember that one? He has to stick that foot out there and step out into the nothing. Lay that foot up. Close his eyes and step out into the abyss. He got out there. There was a bridge there. Couldn't see it. It had been made like to, to look like the abyss. He got stepped out there. You know, God's calling you out there today. Calling you out there to step out there where you can't see what's, what it is, but it's there. You can, step on, you can step on nothing if it's faith and be stronger than anything else in your life, anything ever, you've ever imagined. Faith is a substance. It is a substance. Say, faith is a substance. The things hoped for, oh, it's a substance of something special, something that's coming, not something that it's been, Something that is coming. Your faith is not only in, in what happened in the Bible. Your faith is in the God who, who's alive today. Yes. Testifying that what happened in the Bible was just what was, was potential for what can happen today. See that? Faith brings the, the old Bible into the pre- present right now. Because Jesus is not dead. He's alive. Amen. Glory to God. Which direction does hope work? Behind you or ahead of you? Hope, you, don't, you don't hope the Cowboys win the Super Bowl last year, do you? <laughs> I hope they win today. I hope they win this week, but they're not going to be there. <laughs> they'll be there. They'll be up in the stands. <laughs> I'm hoping they win next year. I hope they win next year. I hope it's out there in front of me, see? That's, what, that's how hope works. Faith is the substance of, of hope, so it must work in the, in the future, too. 
Faith works out in front of you, not, not behind you. It's the substance of what is coming. The substance, faith is the substance. Write this down. The faith is the substance, substance of your future. It is the substance of your future. You think your future isn't, isn't there. You think your future is not nothing. It is something. Faith is the substance of your future. It tells you where you're going. It tells you where you're going. Amen. I have four things to tell you today. Four things that I tell you today about faith. First one is faith is the substance of your future. Faith refuses input from the natural world. That's the second thing. Faith refuses input from the natural world. People of faith sound crazy to the rest of us, don't they? Three, faith comes by continually hearing the word of God. And four, faith is activated by your confession. Okay, let's back up and talk about the first thing now. Faith is the substance of your future. It actually feels like the, the present and the future together. You see, because you can't say, can't say right now, because right now it's already moved into the past, hasn't it? You say right now, it's already gone. Right now, I mean right now, no, it's already gone. See, it's always coming. Your, your future's always coming to you. So you might as well live in the, in the now. That's why the, that verse starts out, now faith is the substance. Now faith. Faith works right now. And the future. It's about, it's about what's coming to you all the time. Yeah. It's hard to, on a timeline, on a continuum, it's hard to, to, to distinguish the future from the present, you see what I mean? Yesterday I was, I was 16. Seems like yesterday I was 16. I'm, I'll be 64 my next birthday. Where did that time go? It flew by. It's always coming at you. I've heard it and so have you. Those people who say, well, I believe in the miracles of the Bible, but I don't believe in them for today. That's impossible. You can't, that's, that, that does not work. If you don't believe in miracles for today, that means you don't believe, believe the Bible. I've got a few problems with that kind of learning. See. I, I shared with a Baptist, Baptist preacher friend of mine. He's a good man. He told me, we, we, we believe that the miracles all ceased at the end of the first century. I said, why? I said, what, what, name some miracles that Jesus performed. He said, well, he healed the sick. I said, he cast out devils, didn't he? He said, yeah, he cast out demons. I said, how did God get the, get the devil to go along with not possessing people at the end of the first century? How did God get the devil to stop possessing people at the end of the first century? He said, I don't know. That's a good question. I said, a better question than you're answering. I said, how did that happen? He said, I never thought of that. I said, you need to think of that because I did. I'm smarter than you. <laughs> a, few day, a few days later, he came to me and said, how do you cast out devils? I got a woman in my church that got demons. I said, I'm not going to cast out your, de- your devils. That's your devil. <laughs> you cast, I had to teach him how to cast out devils. Baptists can cast out devils too, you know that. That label does not make you not a Christian. Every Christian can cast out devils. Even Baptists can. <laughs> Amen. Glory to God. I'm not against Baptists. How many of you were led to the Lord by some Baptist? Look at, look at this. Thank God for Baptists. Let's say God bless the Baptists. Amen. Especially those that cast out devils. Those that cast out demons are really good Baptists. Amen. But you see, in the first century, nothing changed. Nothing changed about the church. 
because nothing changed about the world. The world was still the same as in the Roman, Roman Empire. It was terrible. They call it Pax Romana. Pax means peace, P-A-X, Pax Romana. Or Pax Augustus, it was also called. The time of Augustus Caesar, the Roman peace. They called it the peace of Rome, the peace of Augustus. First emperor was Augustus. He was a, the nephew of Julius, great-nephew great of Julius Caesar, who adopted him as his own son and his heir. His real, real name is Octavian. He became the first emperor named Augustus, because Augustus, August, you know, means the top. <clears throat> but it wasn't peaceful for the Christians, I'll tell you that, or, or the Jews. When he was made emperor, God brought Jesus on the scene. So in Luke 2, in the days of Caesar Augustus, in the days of Caesar Augustus, Jesus was born. God showed us what the real emperor of the world looked like. After, after Augustus came a guy named Tiberius, a pervert, pedophile. Tiberius was evil. Then came Caligula. Y'all heard of Caligula? He was a maniac, maniacal man. Then came Claudius. He was a bad dude, too, but not quite as bad as the others. Then came Nero, who beheaded Paul. Well, those were the first five to take you from Jesus to Paul. After that, there came a guy named... Uh, well, were, when Nero died, he had sent his biggest general out to, to, to wage war on Jerusalem set up embattlements in Galilee. His name was Vespasian. Vespasian, when he heard about Nero dying, he made it back, got back to, to Rome. Took him a little while to get there. Took him almost a year to get back there. And three emperors had tried to take over during that time. Galba, Otho, and Vitellius. So how many is that? That's eight that, that we've had in that first century. You got this? And then uh, after him, Vespasian got to Rome. He promptly took over. He promptly took over because he was stronger than all the rest of them. Vespasian took over and, and sent, sent his son Titus to finish the job on Jerusalem. In AD 70, Titus swept down on Jerusalem and tore down the temple, burned down the temple, killed 16,000 people. No, 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 he killed thousands of people, more than that. But he, but he took 16,000 and brought them back to Rome and killed them along the Appian Way. Reenacted his, his victory, impaling, impaling, impaling them up on stakes and crucifying them all along the Appian Way, and reenacting his victory over Jerusalem. His murderous dog. His name was Titus. Don't get him confused with Paul's disciple, Titus. Things were really bad in that day. That happened in A.D. 70. On June the 24th, A.D. 79, Vespasian died, and Titus became the emperor. Who? Who? July 24th, nothing happened. August 24th, Mount Vesuvius, so A.D. 79, blew its stack, killing three, overrunning three little towns. 
Pompeii, Herculaneum, and another little town, killing 16,000 people. Any, any, any accident there? Retribution. He died a few months later, didn't live very long. Titus was a bad dude. He deserved to die. His little brother, Domitian, built him a, a gate, uh, an arch, they call it, a gate with a, with a, with a uh, uh, pictures of his victory over Jerusalem on it. I've been there and saw it. So-called victory over Jerusalem. It's really just a massacre, you know. And uh, Domitian built a gate for him. Domitian was evil, too. That's the 11, right there, Domitian 11. After him came a guy named Nerva, who started a, started a session of five great em- good emperors, they called them. They were good for Rome, but bad for Christians. Nerva, Trajan, Hadrian, Antoninus Pius, Marcus Aurelius. You've heard of Marcus Aurelius? He, he hated Christians, too. He was not a good man. They all did. Well, in the second century, Marcus Aurelius became the emperor in 480, something like that. And still, persecution of Christians is going on. What changed at the end of the first century? Why, does, why do we not need miracles and healings at the end of the first century? See, it's still going on. It's still going on to this day. This day, you, you, anybody here watch the news? There's a lot of bad stuff going on in the world. We need, we need the miracle power of God at work. That's why I'm preaching the faith to you today. Don't give up on faith. Faith will change things. If eventually, the faith, the faith that was preached in that, that time, it kicked in. 318. 318, a guy named, what was his name? Huh? Anybody remember? Hmm? No. Hmm? Martin Luther? No, Martin Luther was in 1517. The guy that built the... I'm trying to remember his name myself now. <laughs> Constantine. Constantine came on the scene and declared Christianity, the, 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 the national faith of Rome, some people decry that, but if you were alive back then, you, you, if you were a Christian then, you would have celebrated. Yeah. The persecution all stopped. Yeah. It all stopped. It was over for the Christians. Persecution. And Rome began to prosper again, flourish again under Constantine. Thank God. We look back at it, but it, the one, one thing that was bad about that is it became institutionalized. That made it bad. But for the Christians alive that day, it was a whole happy day. See what I mean? You can't ever trust too much government to help you. Yeah, it helps out for a little while, but it doesn't always turn out so good. I don't know if you like Trump or not. It doesn't matter to me. Don't put too much confidence in him. Hold on to your faith. If you love him, he's going to let you down. If you loved Obama, he let you down. They'll all let you down. Not going to stop letting us down until Jesus comes. Amen. Jesus comes. It's going to be good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
going to be good. Okay. We need the power of God. We need the faith of God in the work in the, in the earth. Faith does not look back, but it looks forward. The Bible gives only, not only a de- definition, but an explanation. The explanation is this, evidence of things not seen. They, I heard there was a crime in, in McKinney lately, but they couldn't solve the crime because there was no evidence. They knew it had happened, but they had no evidence. You see that? Evidence points to, to something happening. Evidence tells you that it happened. Your faith is evidence that there is a real God. Your faith is an evidence that there's really power available to you. Faith is the evidence that you can come out of what you're in. Amen. You can change your life. Faith is an evidence that we don't have to live in this pit we find ourselves in sometimes. Faith changes the way you speak. In Greek mythology, there's a story about Pandora. Pandora's box. Pandora's box, anybody know what it was? A box full of misfortune and trouble. But Pandora's box shouldn't have been called Pandora's box because Pandora didn't, didn't do anything with that box except just receive it and call it Pandora's box. It was really sent by who? Anybody remember? Hermes. That was Hermes' box. That sickness that's on you is not your sickness. It's the, the, the devil's sickness. You got to say, this thing, is, this thing that's on me is not mine. Don't say, my, my cancer, my disease. You hear that? It'll be yours if you claim it. If you fight it, you can live. Amen. Amen. I uh, love the story of Abraham, how he got a hold of this thing about talking his faith. Genesis chapter 12, he comes on the scene. Comes on the scene in chapter 12 of Genesis. He's obedient to God. First thing we hear about Abraham is he's obedient. God says, get up and get out. He got up and got out. He was obedient. But he was not righteous yet. He was not righteous. Wasn't right with God. But he was obedient. So listen to me. Obedience does not necessarily make you righteous. Makes you a Mormon. <laughs> makes you a Mormon, but it'll make you righteous. Third, the next thing, chapter 13, he is described as being very wealthy. He got wealthy in Egypt. So he's rich, he's blessed, blessed beyond measure. He's not righteous. God blessed him, but he wasn't righteous. Chapter 14, he goes out and fights a battle, wins the battle. Brings back the booty. Not a booty. A treasure. I know what you young people think. Every time I talk about booty and see if an alley giggles. Brought back the booty. Gave you 10%. I know some of you'd like to get rid of 10% of your booty, but you gave 10% away. That 10% was his tithe. But he was not righteous. Chapter 15 talks about him believing in God. God came to him and spoke to him. He believed God and said, then God made him righteous. Of what he believed. His faith made him righteous. His obedience didn't. His blessing didn't. His victory didn't. 
his tithing didn't make him righteous. His faith made him righteous. Yeah. Faith does not come a bunch of ways. It comes one, one way by faith. Amen. Righteousness does not come on a bunch of ways, but one way by faith. Yeah. You're righteous by, by faith, and you're not righteous at all. Well, God, in chapter 12, started calling Abraham, Abram Abra, Abra, was his name, Abram, A-B-A-R-A-M, Abram, 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 became Abraham. The first one means father. Abraham means father of multitudes of nations, really. Father of nations. <clears throat> God had promised him he was going to be father of nations, First time he saw him, first time he talked to him. Chapter 12. For 24 years, God said, You're father of nations. You're going to be father of nations. 24 years. And he never had any kids with God saying it. God saying it by himself. Didn't do a thing for Abraham. Had no kids at all. In chapter 17, it all changed, didn't it? Remember what happened in chapter 17? God changed his name. I want you to call yourself Abraham. Yeah. Call yourself Abraham. In three months, that woman conceived. Abraham, God, God had been sitting for 24 years. Nothing happened. Abraham said it for three months. She got pregnant. Yeah. 90, 90 years old, got pregnant. Wow, guys, think of that. 90 years old, she got pregnant, had a baby. I think about that day... He changed Abraham's name, and they told him he had to be circumcised. I don't know what it cost you to get to church today, to be in fellowship with God, but it cost Abraham a lot more than what you paid. <laughs> had to be circumcised, and all the men in your, in, in your employ, all the men of your mobile ranch, had to be circumcised too. That means Eleazar, your ranch foreman, has to be circumcised with you. Wow. You see Abraham thinking about, oh, I can't wait to tell them this news. <laughs> so he goes back there. I think of Ab- Eleazar being ashamed of Abraham's name, Abram, Abram's name. You know, when, he, when Abram would meet somebody and say, hey, my name's Abram, what's your name? The guy says, my name's Abimelech. My name's Abram, his father, you know. You know what Abimelech's going to say? Your name is Father? Where's all your kids? Well, me and the little missus here, 90 years old, hadn't started our family yet. <laughs> yet. You know, they talk about the biological clock ticking. Tick, tick, tick. Hers was sounding like Big Ben. Boom! <laughs> Boom! And she was out there, man. Ticking was over. <laughs> Then uh, he comes back from that meeting with God. I don't know what I tell you, it was laughing. <laughs> comes back from that meeting with God, and Eliezer comes out. Mr. Boss Man, where you been? So I made a meeting with God, Eliezer. Oh, yeah, did God speak to you? Yeah, he changed my name. Oh, I was always so ashamed of that stupid name, Abram. There is a God. I always wanted you to have a different name. What is it, Ralph, Bill, John, Paul, George, Ringo, something like that? No, it's not, not only that. From now on, you don't call me father, but 
Now when you call me father of the nations, Abraham. You know, I, I, I think I can just see Eliezer just fainting dead away in the dirt. <laughs> he picks him up, sets him on a rock. He tells him what he's going to have to do to keep his job. <laughs> what he's going to have to do to keep his job. Ouch. Okay, let me get this straight. We no longer call you father, but we call you father of nations. We're going to take our knives and we're going to do what with them? What? Cut off what? But this is, seems silly, but this, this tells you that God spoke to Abraham. Because if he, if he is just making up his own religion, it would not include something like that. Am I right, guys? <laughs> Cut off a finger or an ear or something, but don't take a knife to me like that. Don't want a knife to me like that, you right? right? That's how we know. Because no man would make that up. A woman, a woman might make that up, but <laughs> no man would make that up. Hey, honey, I got a good idea. Let's start a new religion. You are what you say you are. Amen. So say what, you, what God says about you. Yes. It'll happen better if you say it. Just because you've got promises in that Bible doesn't mean they're going to come to pass. Just because God said it does not make it true for you. It makes it true for you when you, when you agree with it. It's one of the principles of faith. You must agree with what God says. Say it with your own mouth. Amen. So your heart can hear it. Nobody, your heart does not believe anybody like it believes you. They believe in your mouth more than they believe in even my mouth. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. Get anything out of this yet? I hope so. I'm trying my best. Five seven says, "For we walk by faith, not by sight." Didn't say we walk by faith, not by unbelief. Did not say we walk, we walk by faith, not by doubt. Doubt and unbelief are not the opposites. Not the opposites of faith, like I used to think they were. The opposite, the opposite of faith is sight. The second thing you need to write down is faith refuses input. From the natural world. Faith refuses input. I know she's 90. She, she's going to get pregnant. She's going to have a baby. She's 90 years old. She's going to have a baby. And she did. Fear is not really op- the opposite of faith. Neither is unbelief. But sight is the opposite of faith. That's how unbelief, and look, using their senses, that's how unbelief gets in. That's how, that's how fear gets in, you see. After Jesus' resurrection, Thomas had a hard time believing he was really alive. Turn to John chapter 20. we read a few verses from 26 to 31. John, John 20, 26 says, And after eight days again his disciples were, 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 were within, 
and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then said he unto Thomas, Reach hither to thy finger, behold my hands, and reach hither to thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. First time any disciple ever called Jesus God, right there. My Lord and my God. Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they who have not seen and yet believe. You, you know you're blessed more than Thomas is. Thomas was blessed, but you're blessed more because you believed without seeing. The blessing of God is on the ones who believe without seeing. That's me. Is that you? I don't care what I see in my body right now. I believe I'm healed. Amen. You see Can you say that? What do you got going on in your life that you need to overcome with words? Let the words of God overcome what's going on in your life. You say it right now. Say, I'm I'm blessed because God blessed me. And I agree with that blessing. So I'm blessed because the devil can't stop me. Because I'm blessed. The world can't stop me. Doubt can't stop me. Unbelief can't stop me. Sight can't stop me. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Amen. Glory to God. The blessing of God is on the ones who believe without seeing. Amen. I'm going to go to the third thing and talk to you about this. Romans chapter 10, verse 16. Romans 10, 16 says, But they have not all obeyed the gospel. The word obeyed, there's a Greek word, hupakuo. Hupakuo does not mean obey. It means to believe, to hear. It means to hear and believe. They have not heard and believed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Amen. Third, the third thing you need to write down is, faith comes by continually hearing the word of God. I preached this in this church one time, one, one Sunday years ago. I used to be the pastor of this church. Am I right? Who, who was here then? Who, who, how many old folks are here then? And uh, I preached that. A woman came up to me a few days later. We had, had a T-shirt for me. It said, Faith comes by. In the back said, Hearing, 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 hearing. <laughs> faith comes by continually hearing. It did not say faith comes by reading the Bible. Context of Romans 10 is that faith comes by hearing the word preached and taught. That's why we stay in church. Amen. You missed a good opportunity to say amen. That's why you stay in church. Hear the word preached, the right word preached. Why we go to church is so we don't commit commit willful sin. Hebrews chapter 10 and 25 and 26. I'm going to give you something to, to go home on. Something that'll take you home. Bringing you back next Sunday too. Hebrews 10, 25, and 26. Look at this. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a matter of some is. Some forsake the, the, the assembling together as a matter of some is, but exhorting one another as much and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. What day? The last day. For if we sin willfully, after that we what? For is, is contextually commentary on what he just said. What did he just say? 
keep going to church, don't forsake going to church, for if we sin willfully. What is willful sin? In context, willful sin is letting it out of church, forsaking church. How many of you are glad you came today? You can look at, look at somebody, he ain't talking to me, I'm here. He ain't talking to me, I'm here, glory to God. As we come and receive the knowledge of the truth, there remains no sacrifice for sin. That, that, that means there's no sacrifice for sins outside the church. What does that mean? It means that talking to the Hebrews, they can't go to the temple. That sacrifice doesn't, doesn't wash away sins anymore. I, I, I got distressed by this. I said, Lord, that sounds like, sound like you're saying go to church and get cleaned up. The sacrifice for sins is what? The blood. I said, Lord, that sounds like the blood flows in the body. He said, yeah, John, where do you keep yours? <laughs> My body. The blood of Jesus is flowing through the body. That's why when you sin, you go to church, get cleaned up again, glory to God. The high priest is there mediating his blood through his body every time you go to church, glory to God. Yeah. Right. Amen. Look at two people. Stay in church. Tell, tell somebody else. Stay in church. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. I like that. Just talked about from the very beginning. I want to give you a little nugget here, okay? Talking about Jesus doing what he did for us. I did a series of sermons, messages, on Wednesday night through Genesis last year. We walked through the entire book of Genesis on Wednesday night, teaching through it. I learned something, I found something in there. About chapter 38, I think it is, somewhere in there, talking about all the sons of Jacob, sons of Jacob, the 12 sons of Jacob. Can anybody name them to me? Number one was Leah's son, Reuben. Number two was Leah's son, Levi, number three, I mean, Simeon, Simeon. Number three was Leah's son, Levi. Number four was Leah's son, Judah. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah. Well, her sister, Rachel, couldn't have any babies, but she had a handmaid, so she gave Bilhah, Bilhah, everybody say Bilhah, gave Bilhah to Jacob to have two babies by. She gave birth to Dan and Naphtali. How many, how many is that now? That's six, right? Leah saw that, that that worked out pretty good, so she gave her handmaid to uh, Jacob. Now, this is crazy, crazy for us in this, our day and age. We wouldn't do this at all, but they did, they did, they did, they did it back then. Leah gave Zilpah, everybody say Zilpah, to Jacob for a wife, and she gave birth to Dan, Gad, Gad, and Asher. Okay, how many sons is that? That's eight. Leah had two more, Issachar and Zebulun. And she had a daughter too named Dinah. And finally, Jacob, I mean, Jacob's wife, the one he loved, Rachel, had Joseph and Benjamin. How many sons is that? Twelve, twelve tribes of Israel. I said, Lord, why do we know their names? And the meaning, he always put the, the, meaning, the meanings of their names in the Bible all there. I said, this has to have some re relevance to us. I'm going to show you the relevance to that. Here it goes. Reuben, 
His name means behold a son. Let's suppose that's talking about Adam. Overlay the meanings of these names, these 12 sons of Jacob throughout history, okay? See a historical timeline. Behold a son with Reuben. Hope that's talking about Adam. Simeon means hearing. Hope that's talking about Abraham next. Guy who heard God. Listened to God. Levi means attached or bound. Hope that's talking about Moses and binding the, the people to the law. You get that? Hear this? Judah means praise. Who, who came from the tribe of Judah? David, the king. And praise it was his main thing. He wrote the songbook. It's in the middle of our Bible. Dan is next. He means judge. After David got carried away into Babylon, after Solomon, you remember, got carried away into Babylon. God judged him, and the loss of the land was carried away into Babylon to a judgment. Naphtali means wrestling. They came back to build a wall in Nehemiah and Ezra's day. It was a terrible time of, of wrestling with the enemy, Naaman and all that. Haman, and the, the way they, they wrestled, had a, had a build with a trowel in one hand and a sword in the, in the other. But then finally they got, they got it done, and it started coming back out of Babylon in troops. In big numbers, it started coming back. 50,000 came at one time. Behold, a troop cometh, one, one writer said. That's Gad is next. Gad means, you know what Gad's name means? A troop. Next is Asher. Asher means happy. What's that? Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Jesus' birth. Issachar means payment. Oh, Jesus paid, didn't he? Payment for our sins. Zebulun means exalted habitation. Jesus didn't only die, but he rose again, again didn't he? Exalted. This is good. Means resurrection and ascension. Joseph means added. A D D E D. Added. Okay, what happened then? The, God, the Gentiles came in. God added the Gentiles to the body of Christ. Amen. Benjamin means right hand. Means eternal security at the right hand of God. Amen. Amen. This is good. God was painting a picture of what was going to happen to, from the very beginning to our life, through our lives, forever. The blood of Jesus is still speaking right now. You can have faith in that. Put your faith in God. Not your circumstances, not, not the White House, not the Black House, not any house. Put your faith in God. Amen. I love you all very much. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.